good to see all of you here, and I want to welcome you. After the storm concluded, we were out for three weeks. Um, we weren't able to meet here, but finally, once we came back in, it was good for us to get back into the Word of God and into, and into the book of Ephesians. And so today, we are continuing our talk through Ephesians chapter 1 in a series that we're calling Dear Woven. Dear Woven. And we're calling this series Dear Woven because uh, I talked about this last Sunday, how some people, some scholars believe that the book of Ephesians was not just written for the Ephesians only, but was intended to be something called an encyclical. An encyclical letter is something that would cycle through all of the churches of the known world at the time. The intention was for the letter not just to be written for Ephesians, but to be written to all of the churches, to the church at Ephesus, to the church in Rome, to the church in Laodicea, to the church in Galatia. And across time, I believe that this was also a letter written to the church at Woven. And so we can receive it. I believe we can receive it. We can trust that these words were written to us today in our context now. Um, if you've read through the entire book of Ephesians, you'll see that this is an incredibly timely book. Um, it's a book, I think, that speaks, to, um, that speaks to our context very powerfully. You know, before the storm, our nation was already going through a storm. There was a lot of stuff happening, crazy stuff, missiles flying, uh, threats being made across the world, and people just not getting along in our nation. People just not getting along. And I think in the midst of that storm, Ephesians speaks directly to our storm, speaks to us profoundly. And so I started last Sunday making my way through the first of four headings. If you look in your notes, you're going to see four headings that we're talking through, kind of the lesson planner. And we got through uh, the first heading, the greeting. There was so much in there. Do you guys remember? Grace and peace, charis and shalom. Charis and Shalom, Grace and Peace, and we talked through that first heading. Today I'm going to talk through the second, third, and fourth headings, which are Blessing, the Scope of Ephesians, and finally God's Own Possession. Blessing, the Scope of Ephesians, and God's Own Possession. And so I'm going to pick up where I left off last Sunday with verse 2, with verse 2 as this gets us, I'm sorry, with verse 3 verse 3, as this gets us into the blessing portion of Ephesians chapter 1. And so look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, and if you can read out loud together with me, verse 3. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so we might need to just absorb that a little bit. Okay, what's being said here? There's a lot of blessing. Okay, blessed be God. So we're blessing God, who in turn blesses us. And he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I'm just going to give you a warning. Paul is very heavenly minded in this book, in this letter. He's very heavenly minded. Um, I've lived now in Texas for uh, seven years, and uh, before this, I, I moved here from the north. And so, as I've gradually become acclimated to Texas, and I've got my cowboy boots, 
and I've started listening to Americana and country music. And there, there, uh, there's this singer that I once heard on a Prairie Home Companion on NPR. And that for me was, was a credibility. His name was his Jason Isbell. He's an alt-country alt country kind of guy. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he's, I, he's my favorite musician right now. And Jason Isbell has a song, and it talks about, um, it, it kind of pokes fun at Christians only in the way that we Southerners can. And it goes, Grandpa was a preacher, the Pentecostal kind. And they took the Lord so seriously, you'd think they'd lost their mind. And I love that lyric. Because you've got Christians sometimes when you spend time with them. And they're doing all kinds of spiritual, heavenly-minded things. Um, and it gets a little crazy. It gets a little crazy. And you spend time with them and you realize that you get a little bit crazy and you're swinging from the chandeliers. Um, and you start to wonder if Paul is getting a little crazy with all this spiritual talk, with all this heavenly places, the second and the third heavens and all this. But get ready because Ephesians gets a little crazy. It talks about spirituality. It gets deep into the spirituality. Um, and it talks about a lot of spiritual experiences. We continue on because I don't want to just sit on this spiritual stuff. The reality is there is a spiritual realm. As I've read some of the commentaries on uh, this first chapter of Ephesians, there are some commentaries that want to completely dismiss all the spiritual stuff. Let's talk theology. Let's be rational. And we don't believe in the spirituality anymore, in the spiritual side of reality. That's a mistake, friends. There is a very real dimension. There is a very real spiritual thing. There is a, there, there is a reality, I believe, that is even greater than this reality. There is a reality that is greater than this reality. And so I'm not one to dismiss spiritual things. Sometimes when I hear it, that sounds a little wacky, that sounds a little superstitious, but sometimes I hear it and you just know. You just know deep down um, there is something profoundly um, more than just coincidental about everything. There is a spiritual realm, friends. Let's continue on with verse 4. With verse 4. And so there's all these blessings, all of these blessings. God blesses us with these spiritual blessings. And he continues on, Paul continues in verse 4, just as God chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And so there's some heavy stuff here. There's some ideas where Paul is basically saying, God blessed us, but he chose us, he adopted us. Um predestined us even. And here you have some heavy words, heavy theological words, predestination, adoption, election. And this is the kind of stuff that can make us nervous. But what I want to say about these ideas, election, predestination, adoption, ground, whenever you hear these words, ground them in the previous sense of blessing. So do you hear that? All the blessing that Paul was talking about before, that's the foundation for election, for adoption, predestination. You know, we can get into a philosophical conversation. Last Friday when we were having a woven group at my house, um, we had a philosophy major in college, and she 
uh, was really kind of onto some of the real, the real tough stuff. But if we get caught up in some of these doc, the doctrinal uh, arguments, predestination, election, and we don't ground it in blessing, we lose sense of the reality. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate. My son, Austin, uh, has been doing martial arts. He's been doing Korean martial arts, which is called Taekwondo. And he's been doing this for a couple of years. And uh, we got him started. It's a requirement, really, um, to begin sparring. And so he would put on sparring gear, and he'd have a chest protector and all this stuff. And, you know, we'd kind of get into the ring and learn how to, learn how to spar. And the thing about sparring is, as a parent, you brace yourself. It's kind of hard to see your child sometimes taking the kicks as much as they give them. And my son knows what it's like to give some good kicks. He also knows what it's like to take some good kicks. Every child cries sooner or later, and it's very normal. Um, and he was kind of on a, on a low, he was in a bit of a lull. He was getting kind of tired of sparring. He was kind of getting tired of getting beaten up every now and then, as much as he'd given his decent kicks as well, uh, until he received an invitation from one of the instructors. And the instructor was like a national, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd sparred, uh, he'd competed around the, con- around the country and around the world, really. And my son got an invitation, which was a real confidence booster for him. And it was an invitation to try out for... Um, the competition team. And I was surprised. I didn't realize my son had that much potential, but he was invited. And once he was invited to be on the competition team, I noticed him kiapping just a little bit louder. <sighs> you know, I noticed him kicking just a little bit harder. And I noticed him, you know, kind of just, you know, doing this a little bit and getting on the floor. And, you know, you guys know because you're autumn spars and, you know, getting into it a little bit. You can see the motivation. You can see the um, aggressiveness coming out. And it was impressive because there's something about being chosen. There's something about being called, elected, selected. That is where we ground all of these lofty theological ideas in. The blessing that you get when you've been, who, me? You've been called, me? When you get a sense that your number is being called. You see, friends, theology is not just something you know up here. It's something that you must know and feel existentially. If we know theology up here, this is what J.I. Packer calls, and I'm going to talk about this next Sunday, what J.I. Packer calls just knowing about God. Just knowing about God, knowing the ideas, getting it straight, being orthodox, whatever that is. But to really know God, to know God existentially, experientially, relationally, you know, that's what happens when you, that's, that's when you start key a little bit louder. That's when you feel the confidence. That's when you know that you're called. That's when, you can, that's when you're like, give me the ball, I can take it. It is the sense of blessing, friends, that enables you to go back to work tomorrow, that enables you to face the board meeting, that enables you to face those children running amok, that enables you to face whatever situation that you are in. No amount of self-talk or breathing or mindfulness can get you into the place where you feel blessed and called. The Christian message, the Christian message that you too can be chosen, that you are called and loved by God, that is what will get you back into the zone.
And so we continue on now. So that's the second heading, blessing. We're talking about blessing, friends. There's this profound sense of blessing that Paul has. It's profound. And then Paul gets into the heart of the matter, and this is the third heading, the scope of Ephesians. And inside this third heading, the scope of Ephesians contains therein the payload of this entire 202-word-long sentence. The longest sentence in the New Testament in Greek is right here in the first chapter of Ephesians. It's 202 words long. It's a run-on sentence. And there's a lot of air. There's a lot of bluster. There's a lot of flourishing. He likes to use kind of his most complicated words here. But the payload is inside this section, verses 7 to 10. And do you know what a payload is? That if you have a rocket, 95% of the rocket is just, it's rock, it's fuel. It's just fuel. It's meant to be expended. It's meant to get the payload, which might be 5% from point A to point B. Now, without the payload, all it is is hot air, bluster. And I'm not saying that Paul is just all hot air and bluster, but there's a lot of words, a lot of flourishing. But the 5% of this long sentence, it's in here, and I'm going to point it out. It's in particular verse 10. Therein, the payload that conveys, I think, uh, the enormity of what he's saying. So listen to the verses, verse 7 to 10 of Ephesians 1, as we dive into this third heading, the scope of Ephesians. It says, In Him, and you're going to have to kind of follow closely here, In Him, we have redemption through His blood, So the blessings continue. There's redemption. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. So all these blessings that God lavishes on us. And then it says, In all wisdom and insight, God made known to us the mystery of His will. So there's this disclosure happening. God saying, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you a mystery. This is what I've wanted all along. Okay, a little bit more bluster. Hang in there. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. So in other words, God's disclosing his will, and he's happy to do so. He's not like, okay, I'll tell you. This is his kind intention. So with his kind intention, he's disclosing the mystery of his will. In verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. I know this is getting complicated, so let me just clarify. So God's saying, I'm happy to disclose to you what I've been planning all along because the fullness of times is now, Paul. The time is ripe. And in this time, God is going to fulfill, He's going to reveal the mystery of His will in these fulfilled times. What is the fulfillment of His will? We see it there in the latter half of verse 10. That is... And that phrase, that is, it's a clarifying statement. In the Latin, it's I-E, if you've ever seen that in your reading, I-E, <laughs> it est. In other words, that is, and here's the punchline, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens 
and things in the earth. Soak that in, what's being said there. The summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on the earth. Now, that's a little abstract. It's hard to understand. I like the way the NIV translates this. It's much more smoother. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to everything. So what's being said here is that in heaven, so he's talking about spiritual things, in heaven, all is perfect, all is well, all is just, and all is good. On earth, all is not well. And I know for some of you, still, all is not, quote-unquote, normal yet. There are things, you might have gone through things even this week that have just kind of made you throw your hands up and say, what is going on? All is not well. What Paul is saying in verse 10 is, in heaven, all that is right. In earth, all that is not right. In Christ, God is bringing into unity and bringing together. That's the key word. That's a good translation of the Greek there. Bringing together. Bringing together. Let me illustrate what's being said here. I want to say this very cautiously, as cautiously as I can. But before the storm hit, there was a lot of stuff going on in our nation. Even now, there's still stuff going on in our nation. There are football players that are taking a knee during the game. There are um, comments that are very strong being made by, uh, by conservatives. And on the left, there are also a lot, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. Uh, before the storm, there were statues being pulled down. There were neo-Nazis marching in different places. And our nation was just completely torn apart. I, didn't li- I wasn't around during the 60s, but from what I hear, this is like the 60s all over again. Um, and it's pretty divided. Now, mind you, I've lived in the north, I've lived in the south. I've heard both arguments. And I have good friends, very good friends, who are very strongly conservative and very strongly liberal. And as I hear the arguments, what I hear is this. They're completely talking past each other. There is an impossibility to meet in the middle. And I'm wondering, where are the voices? Where are the voices that are capable to stand in the middle and bring left and bring right together peacefully? Because I'm an optimist. I guess I'm an idealist, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible to help people on the right understand the pain of people of color. But I also think it's possible to help people on the left to understand that it's not all just about political correctness. And I look for, I yearn for the right person who can stand in the middle and build the bridges of love to bring the right and the left to talk reasonably to each other. Because sometimes I feel like on the left and on the right, it's just preaching to the choir. It's just preaching not to convince the people on the other side. It's just preaching to convince myself and to convince others like myself. And really all we do is like, peop- uh, like the Facebook posts of people we agree with. And what do we do with the people we don't agree with? We unfriend them. 
Am I right? And so in the end, is there any real talking? Is there any real unity possible in our nation? Friends, I, I'm going to say my verdict, and it's just mine, and I'm just a preacher. My verdict is the answer is no. There is no hope. Right will never be able to communicate to left, and left will not be able to communicate to right. I think the only solution is contained right in verse 10, in the payload of this whole passage. What is the purpose of Christ but to bring unity to all things? To bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth, to bring together. What good is it if I speak to somebody, shout at somebody that I disagree with, and in the end just make them more angry so that in the end they disagree with me even more? It's not going to work. I'm of the view that if Christ is bringing everything on heaven and on earth together and bringing left and right together, making peace in this world, I'm of the view that as Christians, as believers in Christ, as people who stand in Christ, we cannot stand squarely, hear me out, we cannot stand squarely just on the left or just on the right. As Christians, we must be a third way. We must be, as Christ, bringing everything together in heaven and on earth. The scope here of Ephesians is much bigger than just my individual soul. You know, one of our favorite verses is Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 8, 9. For by grace I've been saved through faith. My soul is good, I'm off to heaven, and I'm, that's all it's about. It's not just about individual salvation, friends. It's not just about your soul. Christ and the message of Christ, and therefore your job as you go back to work tomorrow is to bring unity. Unity. Can I give you some applications for what it means to bring unity on heaven and earth? The next time somebody bothers you on Facebook because of their political views, do not unfriend them. If you disagree with something, struggle through the idea, but continue to love that person all the way to the end. And it's not just political. If you find conflict in your lives, in your work, remember Reconciliation is, in the end, the most healthiest way we can live out the gospel. So the scope of Ephesians, you can see it's much larger, much larger than we thought. It's not just our souls. It's all things. And here we wrap up with the fourth and last heading, God's own possession. The fourth and last heading, God's own possession. Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 11. Here, we can see that Paul also has racial issues in mind. He's talking about reconciliation. I'm talking about reconciliation, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring and shepherd my congregation through this conflicting time in our nation. By the way, I want to say that our Mid-South summer camp, a lot of our children, our threads, this past summer we sent I want to say seven or eight kids. 
And in our Mid-South Summer Camp, Youth Camp, um, these are for kids from second grade up until ninth grade. I am proud to say we have one of the most diverse, incredibly diverse camps um, in all of North America. One of the most diverse camps. And there were 200 young people, 200 people gathered at camp, um, a large percentage of every ethnicity. And we're gathered together <laughs> and, and kids are just having an awesome time, an awesome, life-changing time. And we understand that this is what it's about. And I know that in that crowd, there are people, there are, there are counselors, there are people from very, very conservative backgrounds, very conservative backgrounds, but when they see this, they get a taste. They get a taste of the kingdom of God, and it softens some of the harsh rhetoric it softens some of the harsh rhetoric. That is what we're onto. Not just talking about it, but seeing it. And as our church grows, and with our forward momentum and some of the new things that, we're, that are uh, coming up for our community, I hope that we will be exactly like summer camp. So that people, can, we're not just talking about a multi-ethnic church, but that people can actually see it. People can actually see and experience and that, that love and that fellowship will tone down some of the harshest rhetoric on both sides, on both sides, friends. So listen to Paul's words. I believe they are very, they, they have, they have a, a perspective on race here. Listen, Paul says, in him we also have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance, this is covenantal language. I think he's talking about Jewish people. We Jews have an inheritance having been predestined according to God's purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, this is Jews, we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. But then he continues in verse 13, he changes the subject and he says, in Him you also. You also. Is he talking to other Jews? I don't think so. I think he's talking to Gentiles, non-Jews. He says, you also, after you listen to the message of truth, this gospel of your salvation, you also having believed in it, listen to this, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. This is pretty revolutionary because in order to become a Jew, you had to go through the rite of circumcision. In order to come under the covenant, the Jewish covenant, they had to undergo circumcision. But he's not saying you were sealed in God with circumcision. He says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, given as a pledge of our inheritance, proof, in other words, that you are now part of this covenant with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. In other words, the marker, the proof is no longer um, the, the physical scarring of circumcision. The proof are changed attitudes, changed lives. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Does anybody know? Love, faith, hope, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and on and on. These these are the physical evidences that you are now a child of the covenant. 
friends, as you go forth into the world, as you go forth back to your lives after this Sunday, remember the proof and the evidence is not the physical mutilation or the scarring of your flesh. The proof and the evidence that you are now all children of the covenant, regardless of, any, regardless of race, of what race you are, the proof that you are children of the covenant is the Holy Spirit alive in you. I'll tell you what, Paul doesn't say this, but I think one of the marks of the covenant and the, the Holy Spirit is dancing. And this Saturday, uh, sang and chant are tying the knot, and I get to officiate their wedding. And I was telling them, I'm looking forward to just kind of getting down, you know, after the wedding. I'm looking forward to getting on the floor and just having some fun. I can't dance. I look like Napoleon Dynamite. Everybody here knows that. But I don't care. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in me. I used to be so deadly self-conscious and so fearful. And my self-esteem issues came into play. And I was afraid, constantly afraid, living my life afraid of what people thought fearful of how I made, I, had to, I became a chameleon, adjusting my stripes to fit in with this crowd or that crowd. And on top of that, I struggled with pity and doubt and despair, depression. And I'm not saying as a Christian, those moments don't creep back in. But I am saying as a Christian, those moments have less and less power over me than they did years and years ago. Less and less power Friends, those things of the past will have less and less power over you as the evidences of the Spirit alive in you, fearlessness, courage, dancing, begin to seep out more and more. Let's close our eyes. As you close your eyes, I'm going to read that last passage to you one more time. Verse 10. But I'm going to do something. It's a little exercise. Listen to verse 10 in the Wayne version. And God is going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Tracy Arrington. He's doing this to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under John Sanu. God is going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Nick Ryder, under Byron Thompson, under June Chan, under Sang Shin, under Sarah Shin. On the one hand, that's not what it says. God is going to bring unity in Christ, under Christ. Unity in everything can only happen if I let go, if you let go of control. But at the same time, the world needs God with skin on. And the world is looking amidst all of the shouting past each other, amidst all of the rhetoric what the world is looking for is someone like Christ that can bring unity to heaven and earth. 
it's a hard job. I'll tell you. Taking the high road is difficult. But are you willing to be the one through whom Christ will bring unity to all things? So just respond in a quiet prayer on your own. Dear Lord, we pray that you would enable us to be the change that we seek, not by works of effort or exertion, but by the gradual and very real transformation of our attitudes. I pray that our joy may be contagious. Our hope would bring light to our offices and workplaces. I pray that our peace and equanimity, that our serenity would be evident to all. And Lord, help us to allow ourselves to be weak. Help us to allow ourselves sometimes to cry or even to lament and complain because it's not going to last long. We know that joy comes in the morning. We trust you, Lord. We pray that as you are bringing all things to a head, that you are uniting everything, help us to be co-laborers in our lives, in our homes, in our work. We pray all this in Jesus' name. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.